إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات آمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يذلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the evil consequences of our deeds Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger Allahumma sahlana amurani rabb InshaAllah tonight in this uh, what is it 13th lecture in our series concerning fiqh al-hadith from the book Taysir al-Allam Sharh Umdat al-Ahkam The explanation of those hadith concerning the laws and rules and regulations that are required by a Muslim in his life in this world and as we mentioned so many times those hadith are collected from al-Bukhari and Muslim uh, we would like to just quickly mention from the previous lecture a review of those hadith which we took and this review is meant as a reminder to us and hopefully when we hear these hadith we should be able to kind of extract from them the rulings that uh, have been mentioned the first hadith uh, and these hadith are under the chapter of al-ghusl and those things related to ghusl as in the past two lectures we were discussing the performance of ghusl and the matters related to it. And tonight, inshallah, after this review, we will turn to the chapter concerning tayammum or the ablution or purification that is done when there is no water available or when it is يعني, not possible for someone to use the available water for whatever reason. So the first hadith from the last lecture is the hadith of Umm Salama. رضي الله عنها the wife of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and she said that Umm Sulaim رضي الله عنها the wife of Abi Talha رضي الله عنه came to the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and she said Oh Messenger of Allah إن الله لا يستحي من الحق she said Oh Messenger of Allah verily Allah is not shy of speaking the truth or of the truth being spoken and with this introduction she went on to ask a question is it obligatory on the woman to make a ghusl if she has a wet dream or sexual dream or sexual discharge in her sleep the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama answered her saying naam ilahiya ra'at anna yes it is obligatory on her to take a complete bath or ghusl if she sees 
the moisture or the wetness uh, from the sexual or the yani, discharge This hadith is reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim as we mentioned And from this hadith the Shaykh mentions a number of points The first of them derived from this hadith Is that it is obligatory On the woman to take a ghusl complete bath As had been described previously in the previous lecture If she has discharge in her sleep The second point derived from this hadith is that it became known or clear if anyone didn't know or had any doubt that the woman has discharge orgasm just as the man does and it is from this discharge that the likeness between the child and their parent whether the likeness or the similarity or resemblance is more to the father or the mother it is from that discharge that comes from the woman or from the man the third point here is the affirmation of the sifa or characteristic affirmation of the characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of al-hayah modesty that this is a characteristic that can be applied to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but Allah is not shy and those matters that require discussion if it is necessary to speak about something even in public then one should not be shy to seek knowledge that is necessary but this characteristic of al-hayah it is affirmed for Allah in a way that is suitable to His Majesty and His glory the next point the Shaykh mentioned that al-hayah modesty or shyness or bashfulness it should not prevent someone from seeking knowledge or asking in order to learn even in those issues that one is normally shy or bashful to, dis- to talk about in front of others and the last point is that it is an aspect or a characteristic of good behavior and proper speech when addressing others that one should precede or introduce a topic that normally people are shy or bashful from talking about it should be introduced by some introductory remarks but not to enter directly into the subject in order to reduce the effect or the sense of harshness or rudeness that people may feel from such a discussion the next hadith is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim she said I used to take a ghusl or I used to aghsilu I used to wash 
Al-Janaba, the semen or seminal emission that remained on the clothing of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And after washing it, he used to go out to the Salat immediately while the spot that had been washed remained moist on his clothing. And in the narration of Imam Muslim, she said, I used to scrape, scrape or scratch off from the thobe or the clothing of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that uh, which remained and he used to pray in that very same thobe after she only removed it by scratching or scraping it. Two things uh, are mentioned about this hadith. He said, from this hadith we derive the fact that al-mani or semen from the human being is tahira, clean. It is not najis, unclean. And also that it is not obligatory to wash it from the body or from the clothing or anything else. It is not obligatory to wash it. But instead, it is commendable or recommended to remove it from the clothing or from the body if it is moist by washing it with water and if it is dry by scratching it or scraping it off. And we also mentioned that there is difference of opinion concerning this point about the tahara or the, the purity or cleanliness or being clean. That mani is a pure thing, the semen is not najis or unclean. Uh, and of those scholars who held uh, that it was unclean, that it was najis, are the scholars of the Hanafiya and Malikiya Madhab, the scholars of the Madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik, rahimahumullah. may Allah have mercy on all of them. And also from those before them, Omar ibn al-Khattab, from the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, Sa'id ibn Musayyib from the Tabi'een and others of the Imams, Imam Malik and Al-Awza'i. They used as a proof that it is najis and unclean the hadith which mention the washing of that semen from the clothing of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as mentioned in the hadith that we have just uh, reported. The other opinion is that it's tahir, that it's clean, and this is the opinion of the Imams al-Shafi'i and Ahmed and Ishaq Rahway, and from amongst the Tabi'een, Apa and Sufyan, and from amongst the Sahaba, Abdullah ibn Abbas and Sa'id radiallahu anhum ajma'in as well as the Ahl Hadith and Ibn Hazm and Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah and they used as so many they used so many proofs from amongst them the authentic Hadith which mentioned Aisha radiallahu anha only scraping or scratching the semen from the clothing of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam if it was dry she scratched it off with her finger and if it was something najis it wouldn't have been sufficient to scratch it off or scrape it off but it should have been washed with water as every other substance that's najis or unclean Islam requires that it should be washed with water 
But in this case, if it was dry, she only used to scratch it off with her fingernail. Another proof that they use is that al-mani or semen is the essence of the life of the human being. So we do not expect that the essence of the human being should be something najis, unclean, while Allah has honored and purified the human being. The third proof they mention is that the Prophet ﷺ didn't command that this semen should be washed from anyone's clothing, nor did he caution the people to avoid it being left on their clothing or on their body, as he did caution the people and order that urine be washed if it got on anyone's clothing or body. And the last proof that they used, or the last comment, is that they responded to the hadith of washing those who said that the fact that there are narrations which report that the semen was washed from the clothing of the Prophet ﷺ. They said that this washing does not necessarily indicate that the thing which is washed is najis or unclean, just as the washing of spit or mucus, if it got on someone's body or clothing, it is washed with water normally, but that's not an indication that that thing is najis. And even if it remains, you may pray in those clothing that that thing remained on. Uh, here, uh, that's the end of the comments about the ikhtilaf of the scholars. Those who said that it's najis and those who said that it's not. In any case, Islam calls us and encourages us to purification and cleanliness, nawafa and tahara. And it's better that it be washed if you are able and capable to do so, even if it's not obligatory. The next hadith, hadith number 34, is the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that if a man sits between the four parts of the woman, the woman meaning her hands and legs, and then he has sexual intercourse with her, it becomes obligatory to take a ghusl, complete washing of the body. And in the narration of Imam Muslim, it, is, it also includes the wording that if he sat between the four parts of the woman and he had intercourse with her, then the ghusl becomes obligatory even if he didn't, or even if she didn't, or even if there was no sexual discharge or orgasm. The sexual orgasm or discharge is not a condition but the ghusl becomes obligatory even if there is no sexual discharge. Then he said from this hadith he mentioned two points. The first of them, the obligation of taking a ghusl whenever the male sexual organ enters the female sexual organ, even if there is no discharge. And the second is that this hadith abrogates the previous hadith of Abu Sa'id Al-Khudri radiallahu anhu in which is reported that al-ma'u min al-ma'i that means that al-ma'a the first ma'a water it means the water that you take a ghusl with it becomes necessary because of al-ma'a which means the sexual discharge or secretion if that sexual discharge takes place then the ghusl becomes required that hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri is abrogated 
by this hadith of Abu Hurairah which came after it. The last hadith, I think, naam, the last hadith that we took last week is the hadith of Abu Ja'far Muhammad ibn Ali, ibn al-Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. He said that he and his father was with Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhumah, and there were people with Jabir, and they asked him about ghusl, or taking a bath, and he said, yakfika sa'un, that it is sufficient to use one sa'a to take a ghusl, one sa'a of water. And we said that a sa'a is four amdad or four mud, and one mud is cupping two hands together. The volume that is contained in the average hand, two hands cut together is one mud, four of them equals one sa'a, or three or five or something close to that amount. He said that that was sufficient. When he said such, one of the people who were present said, it's not sufficient for me. Then Jabir radiallahu anhu said, it was sufficient for one who had more hair than you have and one who was better than you, meaning the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then he led us in prayer in that clothing uh, and in one narration it says كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يفرغ الماء على رأسه ثلاثا يعني that when he used to take a ghusl he just used to pour water over his head three times from this hadith the shaykh mentions five points the first of them that is derived from this hadith the obligation of taking ghusl from janaba that if one is in a state of janaba he must take a ghusl and that is by uh, pouring water over the parts of the body allowing it to flow over the parts of the body and as long as the water touched every part of the body then the obligation of ghusl has been fulfilled the second point is that Ibn Rush says in his book Bidayat al-Mujtahid that this hadith is not a proof that it is obligatory to rub or wipe the body when you are taking a ghusl nor is it a proof that, you are not, that it's not obligatory and it's not a proof one way or another the third point he says that the sa'a which is for amdad it is sufficient for the ghusl from janaba it is sufficient to take a bath when the person is in a major state of ritual impurity. Ibn Daqiq al-Eid says about this, it doesn't mean that you have to use four amdad or one sa'a exactly. But this hadith is not an indication that this is the restricted amount. Because there are other hadith which shows that at times the Prophet used different amounts of water sometimes more or less perhaps and Allah knows best this was due to the difference in time or circumstances or the amount of water being short or being plentiful or the fact that he was traveling or he was resident at home these different circumstances may have been the reason why he used more or less water but it was basically or approximately that amount the fourth point he said that it is uh, mustahab or commendable to try to reduce the amount of water you use when taking a ghusl not to be wasteful but to reduce the amount and the last point is that whoever opposes or contradicts the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa they should be 
refuted. Those are the hadith that we took last week. Now to proceed to the hadith for this week. Our topic this week is tayammum and uh, first as introductory remarks uh, the shaykh mentions the definition linguistically of uh, tayammum the linguistic definition of tayammum it means uh, intention or resolution to do something technically in the terminology of the scholars of fiqh it came to be defined as wiping the face and hands with clean earth, dust or sand because the one who is wiping has resolved or made intention to use that clean earth some scholars defined it as purification with dust or clean earth consisting of wiping the face and hands at times when water is not available or the water may be available but one is unable to use it for some other reason others defined it as the resolution or determination to use clean earth for the purpose of wiping the face and hands with the intention to be in a state of purification the state of purification which allows one to perform prayers whenever water is unavailable this tayammum, sometimes referred to in English as dry ablution, is one of the special characteristics of the Muslim nation through which Allah has simplified our affairs and made easy our law. It is a solution to hardship and an escape from difficulty. It is a means of purification for the inner or the spiritual being as well as the outer or physical being in the life of the Muslims and it is a favor that is due to the blessing of our noble prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam Allah has gifted his ummah due to his يعني, favor for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam whoever is without water which is one of the two basics of life water and earth whoever is without water can replace it with the second of the two basics that is earth so as never to be totally without purification certainly purification with water cleans the inner spiritual as well as the outer physical if water is not available then at least the inner being should be purified by using tayammum or using the earth so if we are without this complete instrument of purification we turn to the method of purification with clean earth to at least achieve the inner spiritual purification this is no doubt or there is no doubt about its wisdom and its benefits to those who have been given the blessing of understanding At-tayammum is confirmed in the Quran authentic sunnah the consensus of the Muslim ummah as well as true and correct qiyas or analogy in the Quran it's mentioned in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 6 that if any one of you is ill or on a journey or any one of you comes from answering the call of nature or you have been in contact with women sexual intercourse and find no water then you may perform tayammum with clean earth and rub there with your faces and hands 
The first hadith that the Shaykh mentions in this chapter, hadith number 36, is the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein, radiallahu anhu, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ra'a rajulan mu'atazilan lam yusalli fil qawm. That the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw a man alone in one corner of the masjid on a side by himself and he did not pray with the people when they performed the prayer. So he said to him, Faqala, Ya Fulan, ma mana'aka an tusalliya fil qawm. He said, O oh, so and so, what has pro- pre- prohibited you or prevented you from praying with the people? Faqala, Ya Rasulullah, asabatni janabatun wala ma'a. He said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I have been, uh, I have been, I am in the state of Janaba or such major sexual impurity and I didn't find any water. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Alayka bis sa'eed fa'innahu yakfika. He said, you should use clean or pure sand or earth and that is definitely sufficient for you. This is narrated by Al-Bukhari in volume 1, page 204, hadith number 340. The Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ led the people in the dawn prayer, the Fajr prayer. When he finished the prayer, he saw a man who did not pray with them. It was due to the perfection or completeness of his gentleness and the goodness of his manner of giving da'wah, of calling people to the way of Allah, that he did not treat the man harshly for not participating with them in the congregational prayer until first ascertaining the reason for his doing such. Often we find that someone may see someone doing something wrong and without any question or without examining or investigating what is the cause or reason for the action, they immediately scold them, sometimes criticizing them harshly without knowing why. Without knowing why the person has done what they have done. Just today I was in the central prison and one Muslim who is a new Muslim said that a man approached him after the prayer in the masjid and told him, why didn't you make wudu before you came to pray? He didn't see him make wudu, so he just accused him right off. He didn't know how to approach him. That brother told him, I did make wudu. Then that brother told him, why you are attacking me and accusing me? I am praying five times a day in this masjid and we never see you here. Then one of the Qatari men came over and asked the new Muslim, what is the problem here? And he told him, this man has said such and such and so and so to me. So that man, alhamdulillah, knew that this brother was a new Muslim and that he was praying five times a day in the masjid. So he scolded that man and got him, told him to get away from him. And the point here is that we need to know how to approach people. We should never assume anything. As the Prophet ﷺ didn't assume anything with this man, but he first asked him, what is the reason why you didn't pray with the people? Maybe there's a justifiable reason without first or before first scolding him. So he, the Prophet ﷺ said, 
Oh so and so, what has prevented you from performing the prayer with the people in congregation? The man then explained his excuse to the Prophet saying that he was in a state of janaba, major ritual impurity, and that he had no water and therefore was delaying the performance of the prayer until he found some water and was able to purify himself. It wasn't that he wasn't going to pray, but he felt that he couldn't pray yet without being able to purify himself. The Prophet ﷺ told him that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his kindness and grace has given you that which will take the place of water as a means of purification that is a sa'id, clean or pure earth. Therefore you should use it and it will suffice you in place of water. The rulings that are contained in this hadith, the Shaykh mentions number one that at-tayammum or dry ablution takes the place of ghusl as a means of purification from al-janaba. Not only tayammum can be used for minor impurity in the place of wudu, but also tayammum can be made in place of ghusl, major impurity. Number two, at-tayammum should not be resorted to except in the absence of water or in the case where one would be harmed by the use of water and otherwise we cannot make tayammum as a convenience there is water available but I don't feel like going no that's not uh, sufficient only in the absence of water or the person who would be, ca- be harmed by the use of the water or if a person was on a journey and they only had enough water for drinking and if they drank it or if they used it for wudu or ghusl then they would have no water to drinking and that's yeah, an exception otherwise in the presence of water we cannot make tayammum uh, that man had explained his excuse for not praying with the congregation which was that he did not have any water to use for ablution and the Prophet ﷺ concurred with him that in this case he could resort to tayammum he had no water therefore he might or it is permissible and allowed for him to make tayammum number three it is not proper or fitting when one sees someone who has fallen short in his deeds in his obligations or responsibilities to immediately scold him and blame him for what he has done until first ascertaining the cause or reason for such perhaps he may have a legitimate excuse and you would be blaming him unfairly this is very important Islamic behavior adab requires that we learn these principles from the life of the Prophet and apply them in our daily life apply them in our daily life Number four, the permissibility of making ijtihad, striving to make a judgment or reach a conclusion in the issues of knowledge, even in the presence of the Prophet And it's permissible to make ijtihad, even in the presence of the Prophet That man made ijtihad. Instead of asking the Prophet, he made ijtihad. Even though his ijtihad was wrong, he came to the conclusion by his ijtihad, that if there is no water, you cannot pray. He didn't uh, make qiyas, perhaps, for example, on ablution. If there is no water for ablution, you may make tayammum. And then by qiyas saying also perhaps you can do it for ghusl. But he came to the wrong conclusion that you cannot make tayammum in that case, and therefore he didn't pray. The Prophet ﷺ didn't scold him for such, but taught him what was proper.
these are the legal rulings that come from this hadith. The next hadith is the hadith of Ammar ibn Yasir, hadith number 37. Reported by Imam Muslim in volume 1, page 202, hadith number 716. And also in Bukhari, volume 1, page 201, hadith number 334. In this hadith of Ammar ibn Yasir, radiallahu anhuma, which is a long hadith, it is mentioned, he said, Ba'athani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama fi hajatin fa'ajnabtu. He said that the Prophet ﷺ sent him on an assignment or a task to do something and he uh, fell into a state of janaba. And he had sexual or uh, nocturnal emission in his sleep and was in a state of major sexual impurity. He said, I didn't find any water. So, فَتَمَرَّغْتُ I rolled around in the sand like an animal rolls around in the sand in order to purify himself. That was also his ijtihad. Then I came to the Prophet and mentioned what had happened that I fell into a state of janaba and I tried to purify myself by making tayammum but the manner of his making tayammum was by rolling his body around in the sand to get sand all over his whole body he mentioned that to the Prophet and the Prophet said to him innama kana yakfika an taqula bi yadayka hakadha the Prophet said it would have been sufficient for you to do like this with your hands and then he demonstrated then the Prophet struck the earth with his hands one time. And then he wiped his left hand on his right hand and the palms of his hands and his face. Demonstrating the manner of performing a tayammum. There are many narrations of this hadith, some of them bringing more clarification to others. One of the narrations is the hadith reported by al-Shaqiq with the same chain of narrators. In that one, the words were slightly different. It is reported that the Prophet struck the earth or struck his hands upon the earth and then shook them, shook his hands and then wiped his face and palms. Then he shook the dust off his hands and then wiped his face and the palms of his hands. And that hadith is reported in Sahih Muslim, volume 1, page 202, hadith number 717. In the narration of Al-Bukhari, it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ said it would have been sufficient for you to do like this, like he said in the other narration, and then he demonstrated by striking the earth lightly with his hands, and then blew off the dust, blew it off, and then uh, passed his palms over his face, and over his hands, his hands, face and hands. So in these two narrations, there is some additional information that he blew the dust off or he shook the dust off before wiping his face and hands. And that hadith is in Bukhari, volume 1, page 202, hadith number 334. 
The Shaykh mentions the general meaning of this hadith of Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father and his mother. Uh, he said, the general meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had sent Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhum, may Allah be pleased with them, on a journey to take care of some matters. And while on that journey, he became junub in a state of major ritual impurity from seminal emission while sleeping and he could not find any water with which to take a bath. He did not know the legal ruling of using tayammum for one in a state of major ritual impurity. Yani al-hadath al-akbar, major ritual impurity. He didn't know what was the ruling, but he only knew the ruling concerning al-hadath al-asghar, minor ritual impurity, which requires wudu. He only knew the ruling concerning minor ritual impurity uh, that you could make tayammum for minor ritual impurity. As for the major ritual impurity, he didn't know what was the ruling. He therefore made ijtihad, trying to reach the correct decision based on what he knew from Quran and Sunnah and incorrectly concluded that just as one rubs the clean earth on some parts of the body which are washed in wudu for minor impurity, then one must rub the whole of the body with clean earth for making tayammum from the state of Janaba, major ritual impurity. Then he made ijtihad. He said if someone needs wudu, they can make tayammum just by washing some of the parts of the body that are washed in wudu, face and hands. But if you're in major ritual impurity, which requires washing with water the whole body, then if you use sand, you should also put sand on the whole body. That was his ijtihad. <laughs> Look at how he was so serious. Even though he didn't know, but he made ijtihad. Even if it was difficult for him, but he wanted to clean himself. So he took the best course that he could and tried to wash his whole body with sand. May Allah be pleased with him. He was making qiyas, comparing the use of clean earth with the use of water. So he turned over in the sand until he caused it to touch all parts of his body and then and only then he performed his prayer. When he went to the Prophet ﷺ, he felt some doubt in himself about what he had done, about his ijtihad. He wasn't sure about it. So he mentioned it to the Prophet ﷺ to see if he was correct or not. Yani he didn't just make ijtihad and leave it at that. But when he was able to find out, then he asked about it. Okay, even if his judgment was right or wrong, he wants to know now. Was my ijtihad correct or incorrect? So I can correct myself and know. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, it suffice as taking the place of rubbing the whole of your body with clean earth that you simply strike the earth with two palms of your hands one time and wipe your left hand over your right and the back sides of your hands and your face. The legal rulings that are derived from this hadith. The first of them is that tayammum may be resorted to in the place of ghusl from al-janaba, the major ritual impurity. Tayammum can be used in place of ghusl, just as tayammum can be used in place of wudu. Number two, it is a necessity to search for water before resorting to tayammum. Then a person should first be sure that no water is available. You must look and see is there any water in reasonable reach. If there is any place where you may find water, you must first search for it. And if it is found, use it, and otherwise, then you may use tayammum. 
Number three, a tayammum is performed by striking the earth once with both palms of the hands, one time, then wiping completely the face and hands to the wrist. Then wiping the face and hands to the wrist. Ibn Rush, who was a great Maliki scholar, said, applying the name Yed to the palms, up to the wrist, up to this point, is more obvious than applying the word Yed to the palms up to the forearm. In Arabic language, the word Yed has more than one meaning. One of the meanings is up to this point. The whole of the hand up to the wrist. And another meaning of Yed, it means up to the forearm. But Ibn Rushd says that the more correct meaning here is up to the wrist. Al-Imam Al-Sanani, one of the great scholars from Yemen, he said that the use of the conjunction the wow, N, that he washed his hands and face, or face and hands. Wow, uh, in different narrations of this hadith, the wow was used, which has the meaning of two or more things being joined together without reference to which one was first. And if you say that someone washed their face and hands, it means that he did two or more things, here two things, but it doesn't indicate which one he does first. Wow doesn't indicate the order, it only indicates that two things were done or more. In other narrations, the word sa or the harf, sa was used, and in other places, thumma was used. And both of these two give the meaning of a tartib, the order in which something happened. If you say that he washed his face, sa, then his hands, it means that the face was first and then the hands. Or if you say al-wajj, thumma al-yad, it means the face, then after that, the hands. It indicates order, whereas wow doesn't. In some of the narrations, wow was used, which doesn't tell us which order it was done in. In other cases, fa or thumma was used, which indicates the order in which it was done. The face first, and then the hands. This meaning of a tartib, or indication of the order in which something happened is additional information over and above what came in the narrations which do not mention any specific order. And such additional information in the Islamic sciences of study of hadith and usul fiqh, such additional information is acceptable if it comes by way of reliable narrators. It is acceptable. We should accept it and we should apply it to the other narrations. Therefore, the group of narrations in Al-Bukhari and Muslim as a whole should be understood as indicating a specific order. That is, the face should be wiped face first and then the hands. It has not been reported from the Prophet ﷺ, not from his speech, nor from his actions, that he ﷺ ever wiped his hands before his face. Although some of the narrations say hands and face, but yet, well, wedge, when wow is used, it doesn't indicate order. In the other narrations, where fa was used and thumma was used, the face is mentioned first and then the hands. Number five, the rules or ahkam related to at-tayammum as well as the manner of performing it are the same for major ritual impurity as it is for minor ritual impurity. The manner of performing tayammum and the rules concerning it are the same no matter if the person is in a state of minor ritual impurity requiring ablution or in major ritual impurity requiring ghusl.
The rules are the same for tayammum. It is equally applicable. Number six, it is permissible to make ijtihad, that is making an effort to determine what is right based on the evidences that you have from Quran and Sunnah in the issues of worship, but not in the issues of aqidah. In the issues of worship, actions. But in matters of aqidah, it is not permissible to make ijtihad. It is not permissible. Ijtihad is the, the aqidah is the usul. It can only come from the text of Quran and Sunnah. And the understanding that was passed down to us from the Prophet ﷺ through his companions and those who studied from them. As for ijtihad, there is no place for ijtihad in al-usul, in al-aqidah, in the Islamic beliefs. Number seven, and the last point he mentions, that the, a mujtahid, one who makes ijtihad, a scholar who is learning Quran and Hadith and Fiqh and Arabic language, etc., does not have to repeat the act of worship in the case where he reaches an incorrect conclusion through his ijtihad and does some act of worship based on that ijtihad even though it's incorrect and afterwards the correct position becomes clear to him and if a scholar who is a mujtahid who has the right to make ijtihad and matters of worship because of his knowledge of Quran and Sunnah and so and so if he makes ijtihad and reaches an incorrect conclusion and then does an act of worship based on his incorrect conclusion if later he found out that he was incorrect, he doesn't have to repeat that act of worship which he did previously, but in the future he should follow the correct opinion. And this is what happened with the Sahaba. The Prophet ﷺ didn't tell him to repeat it. Even though what he did was incorrect, but he allowed it to suffice, and then he told him the correct thing to do in the case when the person is in major state of impurity. There's difference of opinion amongst the scholars. And this is the last point that we will discuss concerning these hadith this evening. The difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning this matter of tayammum. There's so many points of difference of opinion and so many opinions amongst the scholars or points that they differ about concerning tayammum. And we will find that those who have been raised in the countries where the Shafi'i madhab, for example, is prevalent, they will have a certain manner of doing tayammum that may be different from what we have said here. Some of those who follow Maliki Madhab, for example, or Hanbali Madhab, or Hanafi Madhab, they may have a different manner of performing tayammum than what we have said here. And for this reason, uh, and because this tayammum is a very important act of purification and an act of worship, it is important to at least mention uh, something concerning the difference of opinion. Here the Shaykh, he says, that the scholars differed over whether one stroke or one strike on the earth for the face and the palms of the hands is sufficient in a tayammum or must there be two strokes or strikes on the earth? Yani, do you have to strike the earth once for the wash, wiping of the face and another time for the wiping of the hands or is it sufficient only to do it once? What do you think? <laughs> From the hadith which we have read. Also, is it necessary up to the elbow? And some scholars said, no, you only have to wipe up to the wrist. Some of the scholars, including Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, and Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i, Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them, held the opinion that striking the earth twice is mandatory. Once for the face, and the second time for the two hands, up to the elbows. This is the opinion of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik and Al-Imam Shafi'i rahimahumullah. 
they cited hadith as their proof. Yani they didn't just make ijtihad and come to this conclusion, but they brought some proofs from hadith. One of those hadith is what has been reported by Imam Al-Darqutni in his book As-Sunan Al-Qubra. And Imam Al-Darqutni was a very great and famous scholar of hadith. Uh, and that hadith is reported on the authority of Ibn Umar in which he said At-Tayammum is two strikes on the earth one for the face and one for the two hands up to the elbows that hadith reported by Ad-Darqutni At-Tayammum Darbatan that the performance of dry ablution requires two strikes Darba lil wa darba lil One striking for the wiping of the face and another striking on the earth for the wiping of the hands. Ilal mirfaqin. Wiping of the hands, ilal mirfaqin means up to the elbows. That is a hadith reported by Ad-Darqutni in his Sunan al-Kubra on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar. Then they use other similar hadith as a proof for their position. The second opinion or the second group of scholars including Al-Imam Ahmed and Al-Imam Al-Awza'i and Al-Imam Ishaq Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them and the Ahl Hadith, the people who strictly follow the Hadith held that a tayammum is performed by striking the earth once, one time and that one should not wipe anything except the face and the hands up to the wrist that's the second opinion that the striking is once and the face and hands should be wiped hands up to the wrist this group cited as their proof the authentic hadith such as the hadith of Ammar Ibn Yasir radiallahu anhumah may Allah be pleased with them both which we have already mentioned where the Prophet sallallahu described exactly that it, that it is sufficient to make tayammum and the manner of doing it the Prophet sallallahu showed him how to do it he struck the earth one time and then he wiped his face and hands Scholars of different madhabs, not only from the madhab of Imam Ahmed, but even of the madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa, or Imam Shafi, or Imam Malik, some of the later scholars from their madhab also held the opinion, the opinion of Imam Ahmed and the opinion of Imam Al-Awza'i, that striking of the earth is only one time and up to the wrist. And this is important because it reminds us that the way of the scholars of Islam even if they followed a madhab, if they found that the opinion of their imam was not supported by the strongest evidence, then they used to take the strongest evidence and differ with their imam. The first of them is Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, who is a scholar of the Shafi'i madhab. And he is the one who gave the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari. He said, Al-Hafid ibn Hajar said that Ammar radiallahu anhu used to give a legal decision or fatwa of striking the earth once, one time, and wiping up to the wrist. Based on this hadith, and he used to give that fatwa after the death of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu and it is agreed upon by the scholars that the narrator of a hadith is the one who knows best its intended meaning. Ammar, who narrated this hadith, he understood what it meant better than someone who was not the narrator of the hadith. He is the one who heard it from the Prophet ﷺ, and after the death of the Prophet, he used to repeat that hadith, and he used to give legal rulings that it was sufficient to strike the earth only one time, and to wash the face and hands up to the wrist. Their response 
those who said wiping up to the wrist and striking the earth only one time to the hadith which mention striking the earth twice and wiping up to the elbows is that these ahadith are all considered to be weak this is the statement of Al-Hafid ibn Hajar Askarani that those hadith all of them which mention striking the earth twice and wiping up to the elbows not one of them is sahih they are all weak so those who said one time they refuted those who said twice by saying that the proofs you are using are not authentic hadith another scholar from the Maliki Madhab uh, Ibn Abdul Bar who is a great scholar who, who made the most important explanation of the Muwatta of Imam Malik his book at Tamheed which is many volumes explaining the small one volume of Imam Malik al-Muwatta Ibn Abdul Bar who is also not only a scholar of fiqh of Maliki fiqh but a scholar of hadith said that most even though the Maliki position is different, he said most of the narrations attributed to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, on the authority of Ammar mention one strike on the earth. As for what has been reported mentioning two strikes on the earth, all of these are muttarib. Muttarib is a term in Mustalah Hadith which means that the Hadith has some statement in the text or in the chain of narratives which is self-contradictory which means that it has to be rejected and it cannot be used as a proof another scholar from the Shafi'i Madhab or who was known to be both from the Shafi'i as well as the Maliki Madhab Al-Imam Ibn Daqiq Al-Eid he was a scholar of fiqh of Shafi'i and Maliki Madhab and he was a great scholar of hadith he said there are narrations of hadith concerning a tayammum which mention two strikes one for the face and one for the hands however those hadith cannot measure up to or contend with the hadith of Ammar in terms of authenticity yani he is questioning the authenticity of those hadith they are not equal in authenticity to the hadith of Ammar nor can the likes of these hadith uh, that have been reported by Ammar in Al-Bukhari and Muslim be contradicted or abandoned by the likes of those hadith or those weak narrations which mention two strikes yani we cannot dispel or disregard or contradict those hadith which reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim by hadith which have weak chains of narrators this is the opinion of Ibn Daqiq Al-Eid who was a great scholar of fiqh, of Maliki and Shafi'i fiqh, and a scholar of hadith. So he also concludes the same conclusion of Al-Hafid ibn Hajjah and of Al-Imam ibn Abdul Bar, all of them being from different madahib, but coming to the same conclusion that the proper opinion is striking the earth once and wiping up to the hands or wrists. Al-Khattabi, who was a scholar of the Shafi'i madhab and also a scholar of fiqh and who did a great explanation of the Sunan of Abu Dawood, Al-Khattabi, being both a scholar of fiqh and a scholar of hadith, said a group of the scholars hold the opinion that a tayammum is performed by one strike upon the earth, one strike being used for both the face and the hands up to the wrist, and this opinion is the most authentic one in terms of what has been narrated from the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And what is important to us is what is, na- what is narrated from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Even if it is not in agreement with our madhab This is uh, what we wanted to mention concerning At-Tayammum And the manner of performing At-Tayammum And there's actually one hadith remaining I don't know if there's enough time It is the last hadith in this chapter before going to uh, Al-Hayd The chapter of Hayd and then the chapter of Salat Perhaps uh, let us just try quickly to go through this hadith so that we can finish this chapter. This hadith is hadith number 38. It is reported from Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma from uh, that anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal utitu khamsan lam yu'atahunna ahadun qabli. Jabir radiallahu anhuma said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said I have been given five things that no one before me was given. نُصِرْتُ بِالرُّعْبِ مَسِيرَةِ شَحْرٍ That I have been given victory or success by Allah through putting fear into the hearts of my enemies even if they are one, the distance of traveling one month. وَجُعِلَتْ لِي الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِدًا وَتَهُورًا And the earth has been made as a place of prayer as well as a source of purification for me. فَأَيُّمَا رَجُلٌ مِنْ أُمَّتِي أَدْرَكَتْهُ الصَّلَاةِ فَلْيُصَلِّي So any place that any person from my ummah is, when the time of salat comes to them, they may pray in that place. وَأُحِلَّتْ لِي الْغَنَائِمْ And the spoils of war or the booty of war has been made lawful for me. وَلَمْ تَحِلَّ لِأَحَدٍ قَبْلِي And it had not been made lawful for anyone before me. وَأُطِيتُ وَأُعْطِيتُ الشَّفَاعَةَ And I have been given also the intercession, meaning on the day of resurrection. وَكَانَ النَّبِيُّ يُبْعَثُ إِلَى قَوْمِهِ خَاصَةً وَبُعِثْتُ إِلَى النَّاسِ كَافَةً And in the past the prophets were sent only to their nation or their people, but I have been sent to all of mankind. This hadith actually is kind of long to explain. <laughs> In any case, the Shaykh, he begins to explain this hadith. He said that the Prophet ﷺ has been given exclusively certain things that were not given to the rest of the Prophets as an honor for him and as a distinction for him uh, that was not given to any of the Prophets before him. And also that this Ummah, the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ, has also been given a great blessing because of our noble Prophet ﷺ. Uh, that we have also been given some yani, special distinction. From amongst those special things that we have been given is what has been certified or authenticated in this hadith. There are five mentioned here, though there are others. The first of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given victory and assistance to the Prophet ﷺ and his ummah over their enemies by putting fear in them uh, wherever they may be, even the distance of one month traveling away. So that they are made to seem stronger than they are and the enemies, their lines and their ranks are divided uh, and made weakened. So even if the Prophet ﷺ was a distance of traveling one month away, then Allah would aid him and grant him victory and success over his enemies uh, or the enemies of his religion. The second thing that, the, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given so much to this noble Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his blessed or uh, blessed Ummah 
in that he has made the whole of the earth as a place of prayer. Yani, the people of this ummah may pray any place in the earth wherever they may be, in general, with there's some exception. So that any place that the time for Salat, wherever you may be when the time for Salat comes, uh, you may perform your prayer and you are not restricted to praying only in certain places. Then you are not restricted only to praying in the mosque or as the Christians and Jews were restricted only to praying in their churches or synagogues. And also Allah has removed any difficulty from us, from this ummah, uh, in this way by allowing us to pray wherever we may be. And in addition to that, the people of the previous nations were only allowed to purify themselves by water, but Allah has made even the pure sand or earth a means of purification for this ummah in the absence of water or one who is unable to use water because it may cause harm to him. The third point is that the spoils of war which are taken from the disbelievers or those who fight against the Muslims have been made lawful for the Prophet ﷺ and his ummah and it is to be divided amongst them as Allah has made clear how it should be divided. After it had been prohibited for the previous prophets and their nations and wherever they had collected the spoils of war if they had tried to take it then Allah would send a fire from the heaven and destroy it or burn it up. They were not allowed to take the spoils of war. The fourth thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the special yani, maqam al-mahmood the praiseworthy station to Muhammad and it is al-shafa'a al-uzma or the great intercession of all the intercessions that would be allowed the great intercession is the intercession on the day of resurrection when all the people would be collected and all of the prophets would be asked to intercede and no one would intercede and then Muhammad وسلم, the Messenger of Allah would say Ana laha. I am the one who yani, is for this task then he would prostrate at the throne of Allah and he would praise Allah with words that Allah is entitled to and it would be said Yani seek intercession and you would be granted intercession acts and you would be given at that time he would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for intercession for the whole of everything all of mankind uh, that the judgment would be started after a long wait in which the people were frightened and afraid in that terrible place of standing awaiting the judgment the last thing, number five, he said that every prophet from amongst the prophets of the past uh, were only allowed to make da'wah to their own people but Allah has made for this great prophet that his message, message should be yani, beneficial and applicable and comprehensive as a, lasting, uh, as a lasting guidance for all of the people and a lasting law for all of mankind whatever may be their nations, whatever may be their places far away from one another in distance of traveling or in distance of time that this sharia or the law that was given to Muhammad would be for every place and every time because it is the last of them and there would be no need for any revelation to come after it therefore there is no need to add to it nor would there be any defect in it from this hadith, the Shaykh mentions nine points, and this is the last of what we will say this evening, and then we will go to the prayer. He said that this is a great hadith, in it are many benefits, and we will only mention the most outstanding or obvious of those benefits. The first of them 
is the preference that has been given to our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu over the rest of the over the rest of the prophets, and the preference that has been given to this Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu over the rest of the nations of the previous or the past times. Also, the numerous blessings that has been given to a servant of Allah, that if they mention those blessings, just in a way of giving thanks to Allah, thanking Allah for His blessings, that this mentioning of Allah's blessings is a form of worship. It is a form of worship that one expects to be rewarded for. The third thing, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ has been given victory by putting fear into the hearts of his enemies, and that he has been allowed to take the spoils of, 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 of war, and that he has been raised up for all of the nations, and that he has been given the great intercession, and that the earth has been made as a, as a place of prayer and purification for him and his ummah. All of these are of the special characteristics that have been given to Muhammad wasallam. but they are not all that has been given to him. There are other special characteristics. Some of the scholars numbered them as 17. Al-Imam al-San'ani numbered them as 21. And if anyone was to search, they would find even more than these five or those 11 or 13 or 21. Uh, special characteristics of Muhammad and his ummah. Number four, uh, that the correctness or acceptability of our salat is not dependent on it being performed in a particular place but we might perform it any place in the earth wherever we may be except in an unclean place like bathrooms or in the graveyard uh, and also that the original ruling is that the earth is considered to be pure as a place for prayer and as a source of tayammum Originally, if we don't know otherwise, we might make tayammum and we may pray in any place. The original ruling is that any place in the earth is pure unless we find it to be unclean and it is, we can use it for tayammum and we can pray in that place. Uh, and every place in the earth is acceptable for tayammum. Also, the graciousness and spaciousness of this sharia of Muhammad wasallam. for that reason it has been made as the system for the whole of the world for ibadah, for worship, as well as for mu'amalat for transactions or dealings between the people the sharia of Muhammad wasallam has been made as the sharia for all of the nations of the earth until yawm qiyamah no matter how far apart they may be or wherever they may be in the earth and number eight in this hadith he said wherever any person from my ummah may, may be they may perform the prayer when the time for prayer comes in that hadith, the word used is rajul, but it, is, it doesn't mean rajul, meaning masculine or male, but it includes males as well as females, since the woman is the other half of the man. And finally, Imam al-Sana'ani says that the mention of one month's traveling distance, uh, that fear will be put into the enemies of the Prophet wasallam doesn't mean that it was limited to that, but those, the furthest, distance that any of the enemies of the Prophet ﷺ were at that time was within one month's journey. But wherever the enemies of Muhammad ﷺ and the enemies of Islam were, Allah would put fear in their hearts. This is the end of what we wanted to say. Uh, please forgive me for rushing a little, but I wanted to finish this chapter so we can go on to a new chapter, the last chapter before Salat. If there are any comments or questions, maybe we have, I don't know, two or three minutes, huh? Can we take the sister's questions first? Or oh, go ahead. First, ask one question while I look at these. As long as there's any dust or anything, that, as long as that thing is not 
completely cleaned or removed from it anything, you may use the wall, the floor, furniture, anything that dust has collected on this, you may use it, no problem. Uh, now, how about if you are in a situation, as long as there is no water available, <laughs> how about if you are in a situation that both water and soil are not present, and you are in the state of Janaba, can we make tayammum by using wood or walls or any pure objects? Now, this is as the brother, similar to the question that the brother just asked. If there is no water available and there is no soil, sand or earth, then you may use the wall or furniture, wood or anything that any dust has collected upon. Inshallah, perhaps in the next class when we review this hadith, I will mention some of the statements about this tayammum and what you may use in a small essay that was written by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen about the purification and the prayer for the sick person who cannot use water. He discussed it in more detail. The second question of the sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If the time for prayer would expire while a person performed ablution with water, is it permissible to perform tayammum? If the time for prayer would expire while the person searched for water for a ghusl and performed the complete ghusl, in the question it says ablution, but ablution doesn't take more than one minute or even half a minute because you may wash the parts of the body even one time. Uh, but in any case, if, uh, if the time of the prayer would expire and the person would miss the time of the prayer, uh, can you make tayammum uh, in that case so as not to lose the time of the prayer? I think some of the scholars said that you may. But um, I am not, this issue is not uh, any clear in my mind at this moment, so rather than to make any definite statement, let us leave it to another time, inshallah, perhaps if we have a chance to look into more detail concerning that question and answer it more properly and completely the next time we meet, bi-ithnillah ta'ala. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Uh,